0: Welcome to the show. In this one, I have a conversation with radio and podcast host Alexis Salee. Alexis has worked in radio for about 10 years now. She started right out of high school at 90.3 KMBA in Anchorage. She was a sound editor on a radio program called Earth Songs. She now hosts and produces Indigify. Both of those programs feature modern music by indigenous artists. In addition to Indigify, she hosts a podcast called Native Artist, where she talks with indigenous artists about their creative journeys. This podcast is made possible through the generous support of the Crude Magazine Patreon subscribers. If you already subscribe to the Crude Magazine Patreon, thank you. For those listeners who aren't, please consider subscribing at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. That's patreon.com slash crude magazine. And pick the subscription tier that works for you. I want to thank everyone subscribed at the Company Man tier. These are the people who have subscribed to the Crude Magazine Patreon for $50 or more. Trina Duber Seward Brewing Company the Grind Coffee Shop in Juneau, Derek Adolf, Blue and Gold Board Shop, Sharon Liska, Alaska Surf Adventure, and Aquila Space. Thank you to all the Patreon subscribers. Your money and your support make these conversations possible. Okay, back to Alexis Lee. Alexis says that she's always asked a lot of questions, and that she's always learned best by listening. She feels like that must be connected to her indigenous background of oral storytelling that keeps tradition alive. When she thinks about the future, she hopes that there will be more indigenous representation in the media. That they'll be able to fund their own projects and make the final decisions on those projects, because then there'll be a genuine reflection of how they see themselves. So here she is, Alexis Salee. (laughs) <laughs> this red light right here—it means we're recording. Okay, fired up. Crude conversations. Listen more than you talk. Go to work. It's funny how the longer that you're in audio, the more audio equipment you acquire.
1: <laughs> right. Yeah. Everything. Uh, I do like a lot of different um, sound design and editing for movies and projects. So everything that I can get my hands on, even just I'm starting to find myself buying smaller mics too, stuff that I can travel with and like, you know, record something quick on my phone. Um, I've bought quite a bit of equipment through this quarantine so far.
0: (laughs) What has been your uh, your favorite new audio equipment thing that you've bought recently?
1: Um, actually like, uh, the mic I'm using right now, it's called a a Bumblebee and it looks really nice and sounds really good. And it's only $89 and it's kind of amazing. Um, it's from the same company that makes like blue microphones and they're selling all these mics for like really cheap sound and they sound really good. Um, I really love this microphone. I've also been, gosh, what else? Um, there's, since I work in production, we've had to really like pivot our remote production recording and trying to do that without breaking the bank. And so we've been using the Rode Wireless Go kit. And if you ever use lavalier mics, you have to pair them to the same frequency. And sometimes that can be really hard for someone that doesn't really know tech that well. So the Rode goes; they come auto paired and they're only 200 bucks and they sound phenomenally great, um, and you can plug any kind of lavalier in there that that it takes, and um, yeah, kind of <laughs> geeking out on all this stuff.
0: You know, one thing that I've noticed having done the, the podcast for a couple years now is that in the beginning, I was super meticulous about the audio quality, and it got to a point where um, listeners were like, dude, it sounds fine it sounded fine for the last, like, couple months, for the last year. Like, you're just, you know, you're kind of spinning out. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's what it is. I mean, even when I edit, I I sometimes I'm like, am I overdoing this too much? Like, I'm getting way too into this.
0: For sure. So, how are you?
1: I'm I'm doing pretty good. Uh, I just uh, got came home on Monday. Feels really good to be home. I was uh, quarantined in California um, for the last few months. It's nice to be with family, and uh, I'm quarantining in one of the rooms here, Um, and it's going to be nice to go camping this weekend, so I'm looking forward to it. How are you doing?
0: I'm good. I'm good. I'm actually... um, I've talked about it a few times on the podcast, as well as with my wife, but the quarantine aspect of this pandemic um, really works well with me. (laughs) (laughs) So... I found that I'm not the type of person to get cagey. Mm. You know, I, I I kind of appreciate being able to hunker down and you know just work on projects.
1: Yeah. Well, I think too, growing up in Alaska, uh, if you grew up here, um, we kind of get used to that in the winter time, mm-hmm. like just staying in all winter. Um, at least I did. And. I don't know. For me, same. Like, I just was able to hunker down and and edit and do stuff. And I, like, am actually caught up with everything, (laughs) which is amazing.
0: (laughs) For sure. I feel like that uh, if you are the type of person or if you're – like the type of person that I am and it kind of sounds like you are where you have this this ongoing list of chores for yourself and once it starts piling up too much you you start getting like anxiety <laughs> you know and so when you have times to uh when you have moments like like now where you can really like I said before hunker down and really start working on it and making your way through it and crossing them off that list it feels really good
1: oh absolutely um just getting to the end of this season one of our podcast, and I work full-time and also have, you know, other uh, projects I do, like sound design and editing for, you know, different independent projects, um, but also work a full-time job for LinkedIn, and and so I was, like, so looking forward to wrapping up this first season, because it's been a lot, but also I think the quarantine really helped me focus on just doing what I needed to get done. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. So as a host of your own podcast, do you enjoy the whole interview process, like doing the research, writing the questions, and then doing the actual interview?
1: I do. In general, I've always um, seen myself as a listener, and just in everyday kind of conversations, I'm always asking people questions. I always feel like I'm interviewing people just because I'm so interested in different aspects, Um, and especially for this podcast that has to do with Native artists, just I love hearing the story, people's, you know, journey into whatever art they're making. And I just always have so many questions for people. Um, so I, I really enjoy it. Yeah. Do you write your questions down beforehand? No, I don't.
0: <laughs> you just freestyle them.
1: I do freestyle them. Um, I will read about, you know, them. There's a reason why I selected someone to be on it and, you um, I'm thoroughly interested in, like, the work that they do. And its just, yeah, I really like it to be organic and um, surprising and um, it just really a, a big part of me, you know, you listen to, like, NPR and a couple of those um, bigger, like, serial that are very, like, scripted, which I, I really enjoy, but I'm not really that kind of person that wants to be super scripted in that way. I just, I love an organic conversation just as
0: we are, you know, now. Mm-hmm. Not to put you on the spot or anything, but if I was your guest right now in this moment, what would you ask me just on the spot?
1: Well, just what I know about you. um, You know, we met when we did the, the, um, was it like the Media Institute? We were in Fairbanks and we were able to do like this um, training course for Native youth. Mm -hmm. And I guess what I would want to ask you is how did you even get into media and doing this podcasting that you're doing um, and and you work for the Teen Media Institute, right?
0: Yeah, the Alaska Teen Media Institute. I'm a youth mentor there, yeah
1: and I think that's so cool. it's uh, that that workshop really opened my eyes to see um, just to see the the kid you know we did a we did um like a video um, sort of workshop set up and to see the the kids really get into that. And even the shy ones that didn't want to be on camera, like to be operating camera and to have that opportunity and it just to open their eyes in that way. Really, I really took so much a- away from that experience. And I don't know, maybe I'm getting older where I'm like, I need to give back more. <laughs>
0: <laughs> well, I think that's a good, that's a good transition. You know, I think that that comes, that, that's a healthy byproduct of uh, maturation is you want to see the next generation do. Better than our generation, or even you know our parents' generation, Um, but to your point about even the kind of quieter students, you know, and how they interacted with that that whole workshop. One thing that I was thinking of is you your setup. You know, your crew's setup was you had a table, you had two chairs. Uh, you had the students interviewing each other, but then in addition to that, you had maybe the quieter students on the periphery, and they were able to watch, and then that's how they were able to kind of contribute and be a part of that situation, which is always really cool.
1: Right. I mean, I'm I'm naturally an introvert, and in what got me um, really well, I started in radio, and my the area that I found myself most comfortable was, you know, in an editing room editing where I didn't really have to do a ton of interacting or like perform uh, or host, which I do now, but that was part of my growth. And, and, you know, I think everyone finds a, a, an area where they feel more comfortable. There was a couple of girls that were like, I want to be the host. I want to ask the questions. Um, and there was a couple people that were like, no, I don't, I do not feel comfortable in that. And it's like, you, there's still a place for you um, to, to be involved. And, and I, I don't know. It's exciting. I, I keep trying to brainstorm other ways that I can get more involved.
0: So you mentioned, um, or we've been talking about students. How were you as a youth? Have you always been a conversationalist or a good listener?
1: I, I guess I relate to a lot of the quieter um, students that you know w- would have been in that workshop. I was really uninterested in a lot of things. And it's funny now where I'm, where, you know, I'm so interested in things now where I'm like, oh, I wish I listened in those classes, <laughs> 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 you know, like, Oh, I wish I, I wish I kind of took some of that, um, you know, math lessons that I, I just didn't care about, but, um, no, I, I was a pretty shy kid, but in certain circles, you know, like in, in cer- in certain friend circles, I was very comfortable and, and, um, was honestly, I was always just ready to take off and and try new things like mm-hmm. i if I could have gone from like elementary to college, <laughs> you know, skip middle school and high school and all that weird awkwardness, <laughs> yeah like I was so excited to go to college and like live on my own and like just explore the world. you know, I grew up in Anchorage, and I was always just ready to see what else was out there. So I moved away at nineteen and went to the farthest place uh, I went from Alaska to Florida. Um, so <laughs> full sale, right? Yeah. Full sale. got my degree in recording arts.
0: And so at full sale at college, that's where you felt like you really started to excel.
1: Well, I, I excelled, I think right after high school, um, I had an opportunity to work at knba here in Anchorage and, uh, had some good mentors, um, that were willing to just you know, I think you get to a place when you've worked in audio for so long, you're like, yes, I'll, anyone that wants to edit my interviews, please. (laughs) And I was the one that was willing to do that. Um, And so it was fun for me to go and edit and learn how all this works. And um, I've always been, you know, like I said, I'm more of a listener. So I, I, that's how I've always learned is to through audio or through hearing people speak. Um, And I think it's a little connected to, to, to my indigenous background is like, you know, oral tradition, oral story is like how we've been able to keep our culture alive. And um, I always felt that there was a connection there, even with sound design. Um, you know, if you listen listen to some of the traditional music, you hear even some of the animal, you know, like sometimes birds or... Mm-hmm or seals calls and stuff like that where it's like dang like those are kind of like some of the first forms of sound design mm-hmm. um but now in digital age where we record that and then you know maybe reverse it or pitch it um do different things to it to to make it work in a movie um and so i always think of them that, like that's so cool like that somehow that was always a part of like my story that i i really hadn't connected until maybe the most you know a year or two ago um But, yeah, uh, you know, I started when I started getting into radio, I was like, I like this stuff. Like, I really want to do sound effects for movies like that would be amazing. And I always really wanted to get into movies. And so after I kind of felt like I got to a point in radio where I was like, okay, like I need to do more than this dialogue editing. um, That's when I pursued my degree in recording arts so I could, you know, go to Hollywood and, and work on movies.
0: So I was. I was reading through your bio on the Indigify website, and it seems like there was a point where you shifted gears and focused more on projects that told the stories of indigenous peoples. Does that sound about right?
1: Yeah. um i I, you know, after going to l a and really having not everyone has a story that, they were able to get a, a job in the audio industry, audio post-production, working on uh, film and TV, and I was lucky enough to, to do that and be a mixed tech. So if you think of a theater and you think about a console in a theater, it's called a dub stage, it has a huge, like a huge, you know, 60 fader um, console, and I was a mixed tech, so I basically was kind of in the back and I made sure that all these channels read each other and was kind of supporting our final deliveries um, that would go to, you know, the final, basically the final mix right before it goes into movie theater. Mm-hmm. And once I felt like I was learning and excelling at my job and, you know, that was like, it was weird because, you know, I had one idea of like, I just want to like do these amazing movies. And And then at some point in my growth as a person, I started to realize like the movies that I was working on and putting my time and skills on weren't really like, I wasn't really getting anything out of it. You know, there was some like, you know, B and D or C, like horror movies that I was like, these are so bad. Like people are giving these people money for this, you know? And I'm like, <laughs> yeah, oh, like I could write a story. Like I was, you know, I don't, I didn't go to film school and I'm not like a creative writer, but I'm like, man, like, I feel like I could write something better than this. And when I was meeting all these different directors, mostly white men and just, I just felt like the content, it wasn't really what I wanted to do. And I got kind of in that time of me thinking about wanting to do some of my own ind- independent films or directing um, different short films. Um, I had hop- had an opportunity and got recruited by LinkedIn. And when you work in the movies, in- movie industry, you sometimes work like 10, 12 hour days and like weeks on end and every day. And mm-hmm. working for a tech company is nice because... Your Monday through Friday, 8 to 5, and then I can spend the rest of my other time, you know, writing, shooting stuff, and get vacation time, and so I'm like, wow, like, this actually really worked out for me, so, you know, in these last three years, I've really been able to take that next step into my career.
0: So, you mentioned having worked on projects like, you know, um, certain horror movies, you know, whether it's a a, a B-horror movie, kind of cheesy, and you felt like, you know, you weren't maybe using your abilities to the best of their ability. Did you at any point feel like a responsibility to uh, maybe to your craft, your culture, to yourself as a person to kind of expand and do something more worthwhile with your skills?
1: I guess I didn't feel a responsibility to anyone. Um, but what I did feel was that if I ever wanted to see an Inuit person in a, like in a big feature film, you know, in a theater, like who, like an Alaska native person or, you know, Alaska native Inuit person, like we don't have a whole lot of people, you know, um, and I felt like a, a part of me is like I, I learned so much from these different people that worked on huge like blockbuster films that, you know, I, t- I took away a lot and learned a lot. And um, I just felt like, I don't know, maybe it was a little bit of a sense of responsibility, but I just felt like if I was ever going to see, you know, an Inuit woman, an Alaska Native woman on the screen, that m- maybe I'd have to step up and start doing that.
0: OK, so you're in L.A. at this point. You're doing post-production uh, audio stuff for movies and television. And at this point, you, you've you gotten a chance to work on some big movies and shows. Professionally, you were on a good trajectory to continue to work on bigger and bigger projects. Was there a moment that made you decide to move back to Alaska and do what you're doing now?
1: Um. So I never moved back to Alaska. <laughs> okay, okay. I, I still live in California, yeah. Um, I... Uh, and I don't know, maybe eventually I will. Who I think it's weird because I spent so much of my youth wanting to get out of here and dreaming about what more there was. And now as I'm getting older, like I literally every year I come back like home, like every summer or mm-hmm. like because all, all my family's here, you know, um, my commu- a lot of my community's here. And it's just it's home for me. It's a place I come back to. And I do see me at some point maybe in the future, planting some roots, um, back home. But as far as my career, like the opportunities are in Los Angeles and, you know, I always think about the projects I'm doing and all my, everything I write or am considering putting together is so based on home. Like last year I shot Who We Are in Nome, Alaska, and, um, I see myself continuing to shoot films in Alaska, um, and hopefully, you know, look at opportunities of training other people to to try to get more Alaska Natives, you know, on a set and getting them some skills um, and maybe looking at how we can build more opportunities here. I know we used to have those tax incentives, mm-hmm. um, which was great. Who knows if
0: they'll come back? Okay. So let's talk about your podcast for a little bit. Okay. Native Artist is the title of it, correct? Yes. So for listeners who might not be familiar with it, how would you describe it?
1: So Native Artist Podcast really came from an idea of having these really great conversations with uh, other n- creative natives out there. <laughs> and really just like, you know, as I said, I always ask people questions and I'm always so curious about their journey. And I just had so many great, like insightful conversations with people And thought about like, wouldn't it be great to put a mic on this and hear about your journey and hear about like how you did it and hopefully inspire others to, to, you know, maybe get into this industry because we are so, um, you know, there's not a ton of representation for indigenous people in like every sector. Um, So it came from speaking to some filmmaker friends and. How inspired I was from hearing from them and the the what they were willing to share about their own journeys, and then wanting to expand it to uh, fashion designers and carvers and painters, uh, and really see how they look at this world of working in a kind of like this Western world of of like the business of art, but also like how do we ground that in our native identity and how do we do it like in a good way? So that's kind of where it came from and you know i put together like this roster of people that some i knew some i didn't know and spoke to the, for the first time but uh, every episode i've i've gotten something out of it that was just so inspiring so it's been fun
0: off the top of your head what episode kind of sticks out to you right now
1: hmm well like like i said like every there's something i took from everyone like the two things I can think of right now is like drew michael who's from here in anchorage he's a carver and he talks about how he can look at every one of his carvings and remember where he was in that moment in his life Mm -hmm. um and you know how that that journey can kind of play a part in how you create something and it's, you know, it's like a photograph almost, or like, you know, journaling or something. It's just, it's a really beautiful way to capture a moment of time. Uh, Ganu, who's a fashion uh, fashion um, clothing line in Portland, they are two doctors, like full-time doctors. And then they were like, you know, we, were, we, we spend so much time in this one side of our brains, we want to also like feed that creative start- side of ourselves. So we started a fashion label. <laughs> and I was like, Oh my God, aren't you guys busy enough? <laughs> um, but they talk about how like Eric, he he really talks about denim because all their products are de- denim and how denim is a romantic fabric because it tells a story. And he has all these old pieces of denim from his family and, and you can see like what people cared about. You can see what people carried with him because denim tends to etch, you know, whether it's a tool or a wallet or how someone walks, um, it stretches and molds to that person's body. And I just thought it was such a beautiful thing of like telling story and like every piece of clothing that they create is very much based on like a family story or something related to their indigenous teachings or background. And I was like, I never really thought of clothes like that, I guess. <laughs> Which is pretty cool.
0: For sure. You know, something that you just, you just mentioned that I really liked is you find out what people care about. Mm-hmm. And, and I think that that is kind of a fundamental part of being a good listener is you find out things about people that you otherwise would have no idea.
1: Right. Exactly.
0: Has anything really surprised you about what people care about? for instance, the denim, right? Like with me, I would never think that, you know, I just put on the pants and I'd, <laughs> I'd, I'd wear them, you know, it wouldn't, I, I wouldn't give it a second thought. Um, I wouldn't think of it as art. But when you talk to somebody, you're like, oh, this thing that I pretty much passively encounter and have a relationship with every single day is kind of, you know, it's a big part of someone else's life
1: yeah I mean I think that's the the probably the episode of them all that I didn't really that it kind of educated me on uh on denim in general like it's something that uh, I never thought about either um and was really beautiful to hear about and to to hear how the passion that they talk with it about this this different these different kind of clothing um you know different pieces of apparel they create uh, using denim to tell story and yeah that that I think that was probably the most surprising episode for me.
0: Does it ever surprise you how honest your guests can be?
1: <sighs> yeah, yeah. I mean, and it's interesting. I mean, the more you learn about someone and you're like, oh yeah, I guess that makes sense. Like how open they were just now. Like with Drew, he. He was adopted um, out of the culture and, and was raised by two white parents. And really, like, he really talked about that 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 time in his life and being a gay man and not really having a, a role model. Or, like, um, when he was 13, his adopted mother um, made his adopted father take him to UAA for a carving class. And, and the piece that they made, like, his adopted father, like, wasn't used to working with his hands, so Drew had to, like, finish the piece for him and he was like it was so interesting like it it was like he he had to guide his his adoptive father and it was like something within him as a native person that like so this spoke to him where he made a career out of it Mm -hmm. um and yeah just telling like really personal stories is is um I, i i mean i think that's what makes it worth it to to hear people open up and to hear this side of someone that is so intimate and um them letting us you know do that
0: (laughs) how often do you reciprocate your guests honesty
1: um i guess i I really try to focus it on them um so you know i i always try to relate but i also feel like i don't want to there's a part of me that's like doesn't want to be selfish because this is their moment (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know i always have this feeling of like i don't want to talk about myself like let's keep it on you and And I feel I think people usually feel comfortable like when you're in a moment of telling your story that it kind of just can carry on like, um, you know I I didn't I haven't really had anyone turn it on me so.
0: You know I think that, I think that I instinctually, um, at times not all the time but I will I'll share you know I'll share an anecdote about my life or I'll share a story and I think that. By doing that, it also helps the guest kind of be in this this kind of like a safe place, for lack of a better term. It's like, okay, like you're reciprocating um, and and I'm telling this extremely personal, vulnerable story. So, So I guess that that's that's a positive repercussion that I have found with being reciprocal with your guest.
1: Do you find it being different when you know your guest really well? Um, cause that, that was kind of something for me, like the first two episodes, I, those are like people I've worked with and we've had, you know, this is kind of where the foundation of the podcast started is like projects where we've been on long drives and we've been really talking about like our lives and our journeys and all that stuff. So it's like, they know a lot about me. Mm -hmm. Do you, do you find that with your, you know, some of the guests you, you interview?
0: You know, what I do is I try to do a lot of, uh, a lot of research on guests um, some have more information out there than others. So let me see a good way to put this. It's different for different people. So if I'm talking about drugs or alcohol with a guest or they're talking about it with me, then I probably have something to contribute to that situation because alcoholism is kind of rampant throughout my entire family. Not my entire family, but large portions of my family. So I actually have something to contribute to that. Whereas if I'm talking to say, um, a buddy about snowboarding, that sounds like, or that seems like it might remain a little superficial, right? Mm -hmm. So it, it really depends on the subject that we're talking about. And if I have anything to contribute to that subject, I think that's the best way to put it.
1: Right. Yeah. I think the biggest one through this podcast specifically, and actually, I mean, even the regular weekly show that I do um, for radio. it's like identity is such a huge one um, that we all face because you know, as generations move on and on, we're gonna be a little bit more mixed and mixed and I'm half Mexican, half Inupiaq. so um, like it's it's a weird place and like not knowing where you stand and I mean like sometimes you feel like which community do I belong to and it's like I belong to both or, you know, trying to find yourself within that. Um, and that's that's a common thing I, I see when I speak to a lot of people is just trying to find your identity as, as a
0: person. Do you feel like your identity and your culture help inform your questions and your understanding of your guests?
1: I do. Um, if it's different, you know, I've talked to some people that they grew up very connected, um grew up on the reservation or the reserve in Canada or a village, but, you know, as an urban person that grew up in the city of Anchorage and, you know, it's weird. Like I, I was thinking about this the other day. I was like, I grew up in, a, in Anchorage, never kn- knowing that I was on native land, you know, like mm-hmm. it was just something that my family, we never spoke of. Like, you know, I knew about traditional songs and like um, dances and you know had cuss bucks and and stuff like that, but I never acknowledged that I was on native land and that's where I grew up. And it was so it was so interesting to me because land and and where you come from is so important, but it was never anything that I knew or acknowledged. Um, and I grew up with a ton of shame. Um, you know, I grew up in Eagle River and Anchorage, and I always identified with being Mexican because there f- it felt like there was a stigma. Um, and it took a while for me to really start identifying as Alaska native or Nupiaq. And I, I just see so much joy in like the youth that are coming up now where it's like, you know, they're, I don't, I mean, I don't, I can't speak for everyone, but doesn't, it seems like they're very much more proud than I was growing up. Um, you know, I had a lot of white friends and I didn't know a lot of native people and, It was just a very confusing time. Um, And so we we talk about all that and we're able to talk about that confusion of, you know, being urban and native, but then not really growing up with your teachings and like sort of like these gaps of culture that you just didn't know about or didn't grow up with.
0: You know, looking back, why do you think you had this shame about your identity
1: I think it's because I i feel like I'd heard about, cer- you know, people said certain things growing up. The big one is, like, the whole drunk Native thing, right? A lot of the homeless population was Native, but I feel like that's hyper-focused because I think the homeless, popul- po- the homeless population is very diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, so, But it, there was always, like, this weird, like, thing of being a drunk Native or, like, there was something about just – I don't know what it was. It's just something that revolved around it where it was just easy for me as a brown person to be like I'm Mexican, <laughs> you know, and and yeah, I don't I don't know what it was about that time. And it could be just part of that feeling like I grew up with a, in a white neighborhood in Eagle River with like mo- mostly military families that, you know, I felt like didn't wouldn't understand any of this where it's like what if I grew up in like, you know, a village or like what what would my experience be like? Mm-hmm. Than growing up in a city.
0: So in the aftermath of the killing of George Floyd, I've talked with a number of prominent black voices in the Alaska community about police brutality and systemic racism. And many of them have said that Alaska native people endure the worst racism in Alaska. Do you have any thoughts on that?
1: Oh yeah, absolutely. I think, uh, and we feel the repercussions still, um, and, I mean, even if you look at some of the statistics, I know that Alaska Native people, it's like, I think Alaska Native men are, like, number one, and then it's black men. Four. for pl- police brutality. I'm not 100%. I could be wrong. <laughs> I feel, But I know, you know, Native and, and black men um, were the highest, among the highest here in Alaska. I think, you know... I'm not an expert in this, so I don't really <laughs> feel that comfortable speaking about it, but um, yeah.
0: Well, you can talk about it through your own perspective. I think that, that that's always super helpful.
1: Yeah. So, I mean, I think it's really related to basically the, the history of Alaska, the trauma that has happened. And, you know... I think that a lot of our people, a lot of our youth especially, and my family's very much been affected by this, seeing a lot of our young people getting into drugs, specifically meth and alcohol, and turning to those things because of what has happened to our people and it's all related to our identities. You know, in a a Native environment, there was a place for men, like, you know, they were our warriors, they were... Um, the hunters, they they had a, a place, and moving into this Western world, I see a lot of young men. You know, spe- just talking from my own um, family, like some of the young men in my family are lost, and they don't really know their role in society, and they turn to those those things. And when they start turning to drugs, alcohol, maybe stealing, certain certain things that have led this led them on a path because of the historic you know, hurt that has happened to our people, the trauma that has happened to our people, mm-hmm. then when you bring in the police, having to continually deal with certain things like that. Um, it's not its not a relationship. I feel like that is going to work out and they're going to constantly be seeing these people and wanting to deal with it. And sometimes that's them trying to enforce, um, really try to enforce certain things where it's like, we need different kinds of support for our people versus locking them up or, you know, going kind of like overpowering them and, and, you know, doing, doing certain things that I don't think anyone should do to, to certain um, to any other person. But I think the biggest thing is like, we really do need better response in our community for, drug abuse, and mental health. Like, Mm -hmm. there's so much. I feel like mental health is such a huge one.
0: Well, especially here. I mean, we were talking about the isolation. We were talking about quarantining at the very beginning of this, right? And how, uh, or at least I was saying that it really (laughs) meshes with me, right? And I think that um, maybe, maybe my brain works in a way where isolation is okay with me. Whereas I know some other people, uh, my brother, for instance, like he has to be constantly moving, you know, he, he couldn't do the quarantine, you know, he had to Mm -hmm. constantly be out on his four wheeler, or whatever, right. So I think that when you really coop up those types of people, it affects them differently, because there is so much biodiversity in humans.
1: Absolutely. Yeah, my i I mean I'm a creature that likes to stay home so <laughs> I this is like so easy for me like this is like my comfort i'm I'm a very much a homebody but i I do know a lot of people that are it's really hard for them and especially if you have kids like balancing that um taking on being a parent like all like all the time without you know and teaching and trying to work and trying to just keep your mental health together it's mm-hmm. it's a lot for people
0: so I wanted to ask you this question that I'm still trying to kind of formulate in my head, and it has to do with you growing up in a in a white environment and, like you said, being ashamed of your Alaskan Native heritage. Was there a moment where you, you became... Aware of your heritage. You became aware of. Okay I'm Alaska Native. And I'm going to embrace this.
1: I don't think there was. Really a moment. I think it was. It was like a continued. Sort of like. My healing journey. Um, And a lot of people have a lot of. A lot of Native people have their own healing journeys of. Understanding. And. Also understanding, like, why your family maybe didn't teach you certain things, why you didn't grow up, you know, dancing or knowing songs or speaking your language. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, for my family, my grandma, you know, she had a bad experience in school. You know, she doesn't... We don't talk about certain things in my family. It's... Um, there's a lot of trauma that has happened that ha- has repercussions of us knowing, not knowing certain things, and also trying to be respectful of our elders and what they have gone through, um, and trying to find other ways to continually learn. And that's been quite a, a struggle for me. And, um, you know, even learning how to introduce yourself in your native language, like, I, I know more people are learning how to do that. And that's mm-hmm. like, something I hope to start really getting into in the next year, because I would love to do that. You know, I'd love to acknowledge myself and acknowledge my family in, in my, in my language. And yeah, it's, I don't, I don't think there was ever one moment. I think it was just a continued education and understanding and especially, especially being out of state um, after, you know, for the last eight years or so, I felt like I always had to educate people, um, on being Alaska native and being from Alaska, <laughs> you know, like if you ever go to lower 48 people are always have this like idea of what Alaska's like. And so I felt like the more I was like having to educate people, the more I was like kind of learning about my own self and like the place I came from and the people I came from. Um, so it, yeah, it's just been a journey.
0: What kinds of things are you finding you educating other people on down in the States?
1: Well, you know, it's the whole the first one that's always like kinda weird is like the igloo stuff. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, no. I it's always I'm always like it's a normal Anchorage is a normal, regular city like any other city. Yes, we have normal summers, the sun is out, there's no snow year round. Um just like basic stuff like that. Um I and then I always always try to go a little farther and let them know that it's not just one tribe up here. We have, you know, 13 Alaska Native tribes. We're all mm-hmm. very different depending on what area of Alaska you are. Um, has to do with what a lot of, like, the traditional clothing looks like or the food or the your different stories, you know, like Athabascans maybe have more – they have, like, moose hide and – Probably stories around like more interior animals where like where my family came from on the coast is more marine mammal based and we we like muktuck and seal and and stuff like that so and every every you know tribe in an area of Alaska has we're all so different in one state, you know, so I always just try to take it up a notch for people to really educate beyond the sort of like the normal facts.
0: So earlier you pointed to how young Alaska natives are starting to embrace their culture more. Why do you think that is? Why now?
1: I I mean the first time I really started seeing it was with the global warming and wanting to step up. I think that you know, our grandparents ate, our grandparents were maybe a little bit more shy about because of what has happened. And then that next generation of like our parents um, and some of those parents being able to teach more of their kids to be proud uh, and, and learn. And I think there has been, you know, at least when I was in high school, I remember there being like a native, certain like native um, classes that you can take to, to learn a little bit more about the culture. And I think there's been a little bit more services and education around like our culture that you know, I hope has been helping people feel proud of who they are. And yeah, I mean, also with social media, I think that's a big one. you are seeing like more native influencers, mm-hmm. especially like in the lower 48 and different clothing lines Um, that that is like exciting. And you can see these representations of people that are proud of their culture. And I think that's a big one too, is just kind of you know, following different Native people that are doing great work in their community and inspiring youth to thrive in their own community.
0: What I was kind of hearing and I really like is it's about visibility. Right. And that when you see somebody who looks like you doing cool things or doing uh, things that are a part of your culture and they're embracing it and they're lifting it up and they're spotlighting it, it makes you proud of your own heritage
1: right yeah i mean i i always get inspired when i see other native filmmakers doing um you know stories on on their culture and you know it it could be anything like i have a really good friend who he just shot like a little a little video on um his first his wife was pregnant with his first child and you know just like this little video of like to his future child and it was so beautiful that like it wasn't like super like nativized or anything it was just like two Mm -hmm. native people sharing their love story to the youth that they're the the child they're about to bring into the world and and to do it in such a high quality way and um I I'm seeing more and more people like my buddy uh Chad and and it was directed by my friend Ben in Washington. They had a on, an online concert for the for um, COVID nineteen relief, and in Washington, and uh, it's called the All All in Washington or All in WA, and they shot a piece for that. And on that same, you know, bill that all these people were watching it was like Macklemore and. Uh, uh Tysigal and and a couple of like you know huge artists, Brandy Carlisle, and then they had a piece in there which was like talking about being from that land and surviving. And it was just like and it was so well done. And I was like, this is beautiful. Like you you can see like how we can blend into kind of this mainstream world, but really kind of like indigenizing um, these spaces more, which is really beautiful.
0: So you said nativized. What does that word mean?
1: Indigenized.
0: Before that, you said, uh, nativized, like something that, that is nativized and how I interpreted it was, um, maybe something that is native culture that is represented in a way that is negative or that is, it's a negative way to represent it. And that it's counterproductive. I said nativized. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Okay, maybe maybe you didn't mean to say it then.
1: I was like, "What?" Like, "Oh, I know. You know when you get talky and then you're like, "Oh, I said that."
0: I actually the thing is is I really liked it and that the way that it, that I thought I the way that I interpreted it in context is when say like, I don't know, some major white actress all of a sudden wears a headdress and oh, is like yeah, appropriating yeah. culture and you're like, "Okay, that you're not doing it right, you know?"
1: Right. No. Yeah. 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 Maybe I did say nativized. Well, yeah. Nativized in like the way that exactly like sometimes people that are not, uh, native. And it, this is a thing of like a little bit of a form of extraction in art too, is like going into a community and capturing people. I, Oh man, I have this, <laughs> so I was in Bristol Bay last summer and, uh, <laughs> this lady that we were filming with, um, she was telling me about how this they had this crew for Bristol Bay Native Corporation shooting a couple photos for some stuff, but the crew was all white, and they really wanted her to put on, like, her cusbuck or, like, really, like, native stuff while she cut her fish, and she's like, I wouldn't wear that when I cut fish, like, mm-hmm. that's just not something I would do, and so, like sometimes people try to over exaggerate what we actually are as native people. Um, and wanting to see like this, this, uh, like it's like what they think of us versus what, who we really are. And, um, I, I see a lot of issue with that because it, 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 it doesn't really represent who we are as we are just modern people. We wear regular clothes. We don't wear cuss bucks 24 hours a day. Mm-hmm. And, and, uh, and so I think the more that we can show that we're just, you know, just like any other person, you know, I think in, in Europe, they have an idea. I, I know some friends, native artists have gone to Europe and they're like, so up Germany specifically is really obsessed with like, native people and like wearing your regalia and all this stuff and like headdresses and it's like that's not all indigenous people and Mm -hmm. you only wear those in certain times for powwows or or certain stuff like that but it's not like that's not what we wear 24 hours a day and it wouldn't make sense to shoot a regular video with that you know on
0: you know it's like certain people try to reenact a stereotype
1: exactly yeah
0: You know, you mentioned Germany and I heard and I don't know if you have anything to say about this because it seems like I only heard it from one German and I think he worked for the cable company and he came to my house and he was installing the Internet and, uh, you know, I'm sitting in the office of my house and I'm talking to him and he starts talking about this, this like long-standing love that the Germans have for Alaska. Have you ever heard of this?
1: No, i I've just heard of them really loving Native Americans, but i I don't know re- I haven't heard any specific Alaska comments,
0: ok. ok. Well, I think that that's probably where that ends then, because I have nothing <laughs> else to say about it. <laughs> well, it's funny because
1: when I talked to to um Eric and Amanda of Gnu, they talked about going to I think it was China. And there's so many, there's so much, like, native extraction of of culture in China. And a lot of it, he was telling me, like, a lot of it starts around, like, uh, a Chinese man who was um, blessed by the Navajo people and, you know, allowed him to make these different jewelry, different Navajo jewelry. And so they sell all this Navajo jewelry in China um without any native people for miles you know like not one native person involved and he's like it makes me so upset because i know amazing like silversmiths and like amazing jewelry makers and they're struggling to get by where like these people are taking someone's culture and like making all this money off of it and uh yeah it's super sad
0: yeah it's frustrating i would imagine that is definitely frustrating um yeah, I felt like I had a question there, or I had a comment. <laughs> I, I do that too. It's like I, I, it's right there. You know what's funny about a conversation is, especially when it's a good conversation, is like your your brain is moving a million miles an hour. You are trying to hang on to every last bit of kind of your guests like words, you know, you're like, okay, that was great. That was interesting. I want to come back to that. And so you're (laughs) writing things down. You're, you know, you're trying to be kind of referential to the things that were happening earlier or said earlier. And then it just, you know, I wonder how many questions are just lost in the ether of like conversations.
1: Right. And then when you go back to edit, you're like, oh, that was the thing. Or like, I should have asked more about that. That would have been cool.
0: (laughs) You know, I, I really beat myself up. Um, in the beginning of this podcast, because I was like, okay, I want all of these to like cover everything. And it hit me. I had this epiphany one day after doing a podcast and I was wrapping up, I was, you know, uh, wrapping up the chords. I was putting the audio recorder away. I was, you know, putting the mics back in their cases. And I was like, you know what these are is there. Every single one is a time capsule of where that person's mind was in that moment and it can never be recreated. And so looking at it that way, every single one is completely unique and completely special.
1: Right. And it's interesting because, you know, in in a few years I might come back to this and be like, oh, why'd I say that? But it's such a part of that growth of where you are in your life. And like, you know, this is like when I was talking about the masks, like it's a it's a documentation of this time, um, you know, in a digital form. And uh, it's all part of this beautiful story we have as creatives, you know.
0: Mm -hmm. I try to think of it almost like an audio journal sometimes. Right. So I am reaching out and talking to people like yourself who Um, I find interesting and I want to ask questions, but also like bounce ideas off of, and also like, I don't know, like share experiences from my own life. And then, like you said, going back to it and being like, Oh my gosh, like I said that that's where I was in that moment. (laughs) I would imagine that I'm not really a journaler, you know, this is my journal. And so I would imagine somebody who writes in a journal, um, goes back And they look at what they wrote and they're like, oh, my gosh, you know, probably have the same the same response as we have to old recordings.
1: Right. I I always think I want to journal like like I bet it would be feel really good. But the thing that that takes me away from journaling is like someone going like, finding it and looking at it, and, like, that's so embarrassing to me, where it's, like, audio, it's, like, you know, no one can really just, like, stumble upon my drive, you know? Like, Mm -hmm. I got that thing locked up, but... I, I'm so embarrassed for like someone to like go into my journal and like see my thoughts. Like I, I, think about myself like in high school or something, or like what I wrote in someone's yearbook, and I'm like, why did I write that? It's so embarrassing.
0: <laughs> That's awesome. That's such an old school fear, like of, of your brother or like your best friend, like finding your journal, <laughs> right? <laughs> or your parents, and all of a sudden they're making fun of you,
1: right? It's it's just so embarrassing. It's like oh, I had a crush on this person, or like you're talking about someone, and you're like oh, like please don't ever see that. <laughs>
0: Okay, so I have one more question for you. All right. And I'm sure you've heard it before because it's a pretty stock question, but I think it fits well here because as a host, I'm sure you spend a lot of time thinking about questions, maybe not writing them down, but thinking about them. So my question is, what is a question that you've never been asked that you wish somebody, an interviewer, would ask you?
1: Ooh, that's hard. (laughs) Um, a question that I would want an interviewer to ask me, I guess, I'm like, I'm getting like, I'm definitely overthinking it. I'm like, could it be something about my family that no one's ever asked about? I guess, I guess, um, where I would love to see, I don't know, myself in the future or where I would love to see media in Alaska in the future. Um, yeah, because I'm really excited. I'm, I'm very excited about the potential um, in Alaska and my potential of like wanting to continue to do projects here in Alaska and also make sure that the crews that I build for different projects... Um, have native people in front and behind the camera. Mm-hmm. that That's something that a lot of people don't talk about. We talk about representation and and it's for most consumer people, it's, you know, what's in the frame. But a lot of times we're not thinking about the producers, the directors, the camera people, but also just like who are the decision makers, right? Like, I always think that to really, I compare the Native community a lot to the Black community, and I think they're such a great model for empowering their community. And, you know, people like Aver DuVernay and and the document, documentary she puts together, like her crews are, you know, it's very much like Black people making decisions. And I would love to see that for for our community. I would love to see Indigenous people being able to fund their own projects and be, being able to make the final decisions on those projects in the way that, you know, we truly see ourselves in the way that we truly want to tell a story without, you know, these, or having some allies that really can help, um, you know, push, push our stories in the right way and, and help our creatives really get the full story that they want to put out there without like, you know, having their own stamp on it, you know, like, Mm -hmm. I I think that's where I would love to see the future of of film and um, media go.
0: You know, I think that would be great. I think that what I'm reading into that is that the more authentic the media can be, depending on its, like, regional place of birth, the better it will be.
1: Right. Absolutely. Um, I just think, you know, I, I worked on this film... Last year, a little short film, and it was in Portland. But our whole crew was Native people, and it was just like so cool. Like, and and I think there's more power in like you know I can teach someone how to hold a mic. I can teach them about mic placement and uh, what phantom power is, and leveling, and what to look out for. And you know, like I can teach people those. It's just us having the patience to do that. And um, and if we don't start fostering these young people to come into this industry we're never going to see any change in representation um and and you know just to empower our youth like we are you know we still have huge suicide rates and mental health issues and like for me if I didn't have that drive to just want to work in film or like do stuff and like create you know I could be easily be in that position I think people finding their drive is so important and what keeps like me going every day. And so if I can, you know, foster some of that talent a little more, like I think it'd be a very exciting future for, for our community.
0: Absolutely. I I think that's great. You know, I think that in my experience, like technical wherewithal is, is always second to a person's uh, personal experience. So like what, what do they bring to the table outside of I know how to work audition. I know how to you know make an image in Photoshop. Like, right. what are you bringing to the table that can add value to uh, maybe value and culture to this project? And and honestly, just the authenticity of it, I think is is always what makes me gravitate towards something.
1: Right. And then it goes back to when I was talking about working on those terrible horror movies, like, you know, <laughs> it's like, I think our native youth could write better stories than these terrible movies. They're shot well, but they're not, there's no good storyline, like the content's trash. Um, and so it's like, okay, if this person has an opportunity to like be in this dub stage and mix, mix the mixer feature film, like there's totally like hope for us.
0: <laughs> well, I have to admit that... Uh... I love terrible horror movies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> There's a place for it. <laughs> yeah, for sure.
0: Well, I I think that's all my questions for you, Alexis. Awesome. It's been fun. Yeah, this has been great and uh keep doing what you're doing with the podcast. It's it's really awesome to uh to see the stories or hear the stories that you're helping share.
1: Yeah, it's been it's been a fun ride and uh we'll see if uh, what happens with season 2. I've I've gotten a couple new, exciting ideas. I'm really into like um, branding and the look and all that stuff. So we did some really cool promos for this one. Um, so I'm I'm always looking at the full picture. So we'll see what happens in season two.
0: You know, I just flipped to this other page and I found another question that I really wanted to ask you. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah Why not? Would you consider what you do uh, with the podcast a piece of entertainment or a piece of journalism?
1: Ooh, I think neither. <laughs> I think it's more storytelling. Okay. Um I I've never seen myself as a journalist. Like that's just not, you know, it's not me. Um I just feel like I'm having like it's it's kind of related to this, you know, like do would you what would you consider this entertainment or journalism?
0: I would personally consider this journalism because I'm a journalist and how I look at these even like the most entertainment based podcasts what it what it's doing is it is exposing the people of Alaska and even the people outside of Alaska because you know the world is so much smaller now with the internet right mm-hmm. it's exposing everyone to these different characters that are representative of Alaska and to understand them is to understand this place right
1: so you're you're educating people in a way and and helping them. Um you know you you have a very broad amount of of topics. I guess for for me, I, I don't feel like a journalist myself. <laughs> so,, um, and that's cool. like that's that's amazing. like i I love hearing that you know what your content is. Um, for me, it's it, I guess it's more of um, it's just not my background, so maybe I don't feel comfortable with that. Um, I, I guess I feel like it's more storytelling because one people are really sharing, it's really focused on them. It's really focused on their journey. Um, and a lot of it is them talking, you know, I'm asking, and we're having you know, a few conversation, uh, conversation piece questions, but I really am more spotlighting it on them to have the voice and, uh, and also, you know, bringing in music to, to kind of help people go along on the journey. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I guess for me, yeah, that's, that's kind of what I would think
0: <laughs> for me. Well, I personally would consider what you're doing journalism.
1: Hmm. <laughs> I've won a couple journalism awards which is interesting well there you go you're a journalist
0: <laughs> congratulations
1: <laughs> I'm just realizing it after gosh what 10 years in radio <laughs> no I mean because I am um, you know working in for what used to be called earth songs with Cheyenne and then it becoming Indigify it was music based and and I was you know, every episode I talk to musicians, so it's to me that's entertainment. And then this one, I guess this is uh, a little different. So maybe it is journalism then.
0: <laughs> so, do you agree that you're a journalist now?
1: <laughs> I don't want to commit to it, but <laughs> okay, maybe next conversation.
0: Uh... <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, Alexis, this has been really awesome.
1: Yeah, it was good to connect with you again, and uh, we we were. Briefly spoke in Fairbanks, but I'm glad that we were able to speak a little bit more now.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And uh, you have a great day.
1: Thanks. Thanks for having me on.
0: You can support local grassroots journalism at www.patreon.com slash crude magazine. Crude Conversations is written, hosted, and produced by me. Cody Liska for Crude Magazine. Music was produced by Elkota Beats.